Good afternoon, good evening. It's Mr. Gadgets once again, and I thought I would call in with a brief our little talk about the history of computing. And as I move forward, my history with Unix and getting over to Linux eventually, and uh, it seems particularly apropos. And so the subject of today's, uh, because of the time of the year that it is, so because of, uh, and I was reminded of this uh, recently because of some other podcasts and things like that that celebrated this, and there's a grand tradition of it. So years ago, and I already mentioned Don Lancaster, he was the one who wrote the original TV typewriter cookbook, which actually taught you how to use a bunch of discrete ICs to build something that would actually put a, a TV signal onto a relatively cheap composite monitor, and uh, you could hook a surplus keyboard to it, and you could use that in lieu of a teletype machine, which was a big uh, and mechanical, hard-to-move-around, hard-to-maintain kind of the device for your input-output of your alphanumeric characters into your very, very early computers, like your, uh, your MSI computers and things like that. Uh, your MITS computer, your original computers where you were flipping switches, or as I have talked about on some of my single board computers that I owned, if you were lucky, you had one of those where you actually had a hex keyboard instead of flipping all the eight bits of the uh, byte and then uh, pushing another switch to actually store that, you could actually type in the hex equivalents uh, of those bytes and program the microcomputers that way. But if you really had the money, you could have a teletype machine uh, or you could have this electronic teletype machine from Don Lancaster. And he has continued through the years to write a lot of articles that were in various magazines and write on technology right up to this day. And if you go out and search for Don Lancaster on Google, you'll come up with this site first thing. And uh, it's still an interesting site. He is quite the character, Don is. Uh, you'll find some uh, references there to his very, very cogent arguments against patenting anything. Uh, according to Don, not only should software be free and open, but ideas should also be free and open, and patenting ideas is a patently stupid idea. Uh, so. He's an interesting character, as I said. Uh, amongst other things, uh, after the initial circuitry for the typewriter cookbook and some other early kinds of things there in uh, the world of computing, I'm pretty sure that Don also came up with some of the first circuits that would allow you to, uh, you, to take the signals uh, from your computer and uh, form them into audio tones that would be uh, uh, something that you could store on a cassette recorder and then uh, load those back in to store your programs and read them back. 
and I think he was one of the one of the people that was a pioneer in that regard also, and various types of things. He took to uh, very much to postscript when that became available as a language, and uh, the usage of postscript was first. Uh, actually, you know, it's it's around all over the place now, but. Uh, back in the day, the way that you used PostScript it was if you had a laser writer printer, which was, of course, one of the first laser printers that came for computers and one of the first uh, printers that was really capable of producing high-quality kind of output from the computer, and uh, that was the Apple laser writer product. And it was actually a PostScript interpreter that you would use to actually produce the things there on the laser writer. And Don discovered that this was actually one of the most powerful computers that one could own and one of the most powerful computers that he owned in terms of its graphical capabilities. And he really, really leveraged that to the point that he was writing PostScript code. It's actually a programming language. And uh, he was writing PostScript code that would not only do graphical things that would be output on paper, he would just use it as a computational engine and uh, take the results that would come out of the PostScript engine that was built into the laser writer. And he was a real you know, proponent of writing PostScript code and using your laser writer to actually run that code as an adjunct to the computational power you had in the computer that the laser writer was connected to. And I know how it sounds crazy, but Don could convince you that this was a good idea. I mean, just like his really, really good arguments against patents. And I actually agree with him on the patent uh, kind of idea. Uh, so he, he really, really uh, has some really out there, out of the box kinds of ideas, including the usage of PostScript, as I said. Uh, a brief sojourn here off to the modern world, uh, Bart Bouchat who quite often talks uh, across the pond with Allison Sheridan on the Nosilicast. Bart hasn't been doing that recently uh, because he's had some health issues, and we're all thinking about Bart and wishing him well and uh, getting back onto the Internet as quickly as possible. Bart has many, many times railed against Adobe, and, well, he might, uh, for their security kinds of issues, and he has really, really question this whole idea that why is it that PDF documents and a PDF reader has the ability to actually run code snippets? Why would I have a PDF reader that could run code, he has lamented many times in terms of security holes. I can't find any corroborating evidence to this, but I would swear that PDF initially stood for PostScript document language, not portable document uh, document format, but PostScript document format. It uses the PostScript language to render the document, and thusly any reader has to be able to run the PostScript language that is included as part of that rendering process. Anyway, back to the what passes for a subject matter here. The uh, columns that Don read were always one of the most interesting things about having a subscription or picking up a copy of any one of the various magazines 
that he wrote columns for. And he would be writing columns for computer magazines, where he'd be talking about his postscript thing. He would also be writing columns for popular electronics or radio electronics, the various electronics magazines. And he had regular columns in these magazines for years. And one year, he really had me going on the, not only did I not have enough money for a laser writer to even consider this whole using the PostScript engine for other computational usage, but he also was using the Apple computers, the Apple II computer specifically, which he was connecting up to the laser writer. And he really, really got me at one point in an article that he wrote because he was talking about a new board that you could plug into the Apple II computer. Now, one advantage of the Apple II is it had its own bus, like that S100 bus I've been talking about, or various computer buses. So this idea of having expansion boards that you could plug in is not you know, a new kind of a thing. It's been around since almost the beginning of microcomputing. We figured out we wanted the bus to be able to plug things into it pretty much right away. Even that Cosmac Elf had a little connector for a bus to plug in a video card into it that eventually came out. So there was this new card that he was working on, and he was working on it with a, a uh, company that had come to him, and the company had a, a special chip that they had designed, and he had worked with them on the board, and he'd worked with them on the software to run on the Apple II, and of course, the board would only plug into an Apple II, and the software would only run in the Apple II environment. And But it was really exciting, and he was finally able to announce that this board was going to come onto the market. And the really exciting thing is it would use the RS-232 communications, and you'd actually need to have two Apple IIs. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't even afford one Apple II, Don. You're killing me here. I need two Apple IIs. What the heck would I need two Apple IIs for, and why would I want these boards communicating? I mean, we had modems, and so it had to be something more. Well, you could you could do it faster, of course, if they were connected directly to one another, but the really practical aspect of this would be using it with a modem, and, of course, depending on the speed of your modem, it would be slower to accomplish the process. But there was a tiny little chamber, a tiny little opening with a door on it at the back of this board, and so you, and it was about enough room to put in a small piece of paper or uh, maybe something the size of a quarter or something like that could fit into this little slot in the back. But the amazing thing was the special chip that they had and the special software that they had had the ability to dematerialize the item that you put in the slot in one machine, transfer it via the digital signal to the other machine and rematerialize it on the other side. I mean, this was a Star Trek transporter, admittedly not over radio waves, right, but over wires or over the modem. And, I mean, I was wrapped and just giving all the technical details about how everything would work, and it was a very small chamber at this point because of the technical limitations of where they had gotten so far, but they could see, of course, you know, how, what the potential was this in the future as this technology would develop. And then he announced the really exciting part about it, which was you could actually hook up to four computers together, and one computer could have the quarter in it, 
and the other three computers would each have a quarter in them in their slots at the end of the process, three quarters for one. And then it hit me that it was April, and this was his April Fool's column, which he did every year. And he sucked me in totally until that last column when he talked uh, about giving three quarters for one. And so I wish you a happy April Fool's. I'd also like somebody to explain to me why it is that it's April Fool's because no way, shape, or form in the way that I count years, even with the old calendar, right? September 7, October 8, November 9, December 10, right? Even if you count that way, I can't figure out how the Julian calendar had the first of the year being April. But happy April Fool's. There were lots of April Fool's just going on here in terms of some of the podcasts that I heard and things like that. And I thought that was an interesting little story because of that tight, you know, the, the people who were working on the computers were all the Star Trek fans. And, of course, he stuck this all in. To this day, he still has a book that you should look for on the used bookshelf called The Incredible Secret Money Machine which is an idea of how to make a living from multiple sources of income. The, the basic gist of the book is you don't want to have all of your dollar bills coming from a single source. You would rather have a bunch of quarters coming from a couple of sources or even better, a whole series of dimes and nickels coming from multiple sources. So if any single one of those sources dries up, you lose all of your income. But he, of course, expands on this to a great extent. There were two different versions of this. Uh, I own the original uh, edition of that, and I think I also have a copy of his second edition. Uh, on his side, I think he's got plans to actually put up the text of uh, the second edition of the book eventually online. Uh, but right now he's got some of the articles and things from that. So I encourage you to go out and check out Don Lancaster's site. Just Google for him there and uh, see he's got all kinds of interesting ideas, and even to this day he's doing all kinds of interesting things with uh, technology, well worth the time and effort, and you're kind of looking at the past and the present here of computing. And with that, I'd like to wish you a very, very happy April, and uh, hope you didn't get fooled too bad, and we'll talk to you next time. This is Mr. Gadget. And I'll be out here on the technological frontier, blazing the trail ahead of you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.